Welcome to Mountain State Cardboard, a podcast about sports, sports cards, and life from the Mountain State of West Virginia. If you're looking for guaranteed hot picks and lead pipe lock advice on the next big thing in sports cards, just turn around now. This isn't the show for you. This is a fun conversation about the hobby we all love. Peace, love, and penny sleeves. Mountain State Cardboard, ready to roll. Episode 22 on deck this week. And uh, it's the holiday season as I record this. Um, Hanukkah has just ended uh, this past Friday. And uh, Christmas comes up uh, this Friday uh, of this week. And then we're into New Year. And then 2021. And we can all put 2020, which was just an abysmal year, behind us. But I say that. It was a fascinating year in the hobby, and uh, maybe next week we'll uh, do a bit of a retrospective kind of thing on 2020 in the hobby. I'm still working that out in my head, or maybe not. Maybe just throw that out and and just move on with a, a different topic of the week. But it was a fascinating year in the hobby in uh, 2020, and probably worth uh, discussing. Before we roll into the show today, I would remind you, as always. Please subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. Uh, rate the show, give it a review, share it with your friends, help me spread the word. And you can find me on the socials, Twitter and Instagram, at WV Cardboard. The website is WVCardboard.com. Shoot me an email, WVCardboard at gmail.com. Connect with me. Let's have a conversation. As I said, 2020, kind of a shit show, uh, if you want to use that uh, turn of phrase. And nothing, in my opinion, is indicative of that more than the 2020 college football season. As I record this this morning, the uh, official matchups have been made for the college football playoffs, such as they are. And those are just a microcosm of how messed up this college football season was and how the whole thing was, in my opinion, an exercise in not only futility, but hypocrisy and bad decisions. So uh, for those that are interested, um, if you're not a college football person, just skip ahead. But uh, just real quick, college football pairings came out last night for the championships, and uh, it's number one Alabama versus number four Notre Dame, and then two and three Clemson and uh, Ohio State. But so many problems with not just the matchups, but what's happening in college football. Uh, we'll start with the matchups. Notre Dame gets absolutely shellacked by Clemson and uh, only drops to number four. Meanwhile, Texas A&M, who had a really solid season, and I'm biased, you know, share a hometown with Jimbo Fisher, uh, but Texas A&M gets skipped over. Um, doesn't make the top four, even though they played a full slate. Whether or not that's a good thing uh, is up for debate, but they did play 11 games and get overlooked for, you know, in Ohio State, you look at Ohio State, I think, I firmly believe Ohio State could have gone like 2-0 and and made the college football playoffs because at the end of the day, it's all about money and big-time matchups. That's why schools like Cincinnati and Iowa State get overlooked for a team that only played a partial schedule, didn't even play enough games to qualify for their own conference championship, yet they make the college football playoffs. The whole thing is absurd and, uh, frankly, in my opinion, out of order. The bowl season is nutso. Nothing is more indicative of how bad things are in college football when you look at the records of some of the teams that are playing in some of these ridiculous bowl games. Uh, and I'll use my own alma mater as a, as a uh, uh, 
a barometer of this. Uh, WVU did have a winning record, five and four, didn't win six games. So uh, in any other year would not have qualified for a bowl game, but five and four West Virginia University uh, playing in the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, Tennessee on January 30 or December 31st, rather, against Tennessee and Tennessee's record three and seven. And they're playing in the Liberty Bowl, seventh oldest bowl game in uh, college football. Tennessee three and seven. Of course, it's in Memphis. It's in Tennessee. They'll get a lot of Tennessee fans. And again, that's probably a bad idea. The Liberty Bowl says that they'll put twelve to thirteen thousand people in the stadium. That's twenty percent capacity. But I don't care who you are. We're living in the middle of a pandemic, and in my opinion, twelve thousand people is twelve thousand people too many to have in one place for anything. I am in the camp that college football should just not have happened this year. Having these kids fly across the country, play football games, bring people into stadiums, the whole thing was a bad idea. Um, college football playoffs, uh, they, the NCAA moved the Rose Bowl out of Pasadena, California to uh, Jerry World in Texas, and in doing so said that they were doing it because uh, they were moving out of the Rose Bowl due to the growing number of COVID-19 cases in Southern California. Um, guys, I, I, got, I got something to tell you. That's a lie. Positivity rate in L.A. County, 14.7%. Positivity, county, or positivity rate in the county where they're moving it, 17%. They're not moving it out of California because of the positivity rate in L.A. County. They're moving out of California because they couldn't have fans in attendance at the Rose Bowl because of California restrictions. They're moving it to Texas where they don't have those restrictions and they could put fans in the stands. That's all it's about. Um, College football this year has just been one big money grab, and we'll leave it at that. Um, And enjoy watching a three-win Tennessee team play in the Liberty Bowl. I, I don't know what else needs to be said about any of this, but... That's the state of sports in America. Something more positive, uh, the NBA, and again, we can debate whether or not it should be happening, but I am excited about the NBA because at least at the professional level, these kids, or these guys rather, are getting paid. The collegiate level, the kids aren't getting paid and they're being put in harm's way and we're, you know, allowing crowds into stadiums. At least the NBA is doing it in front of no fans and those guys are getting paid for their efforts. Whether or not that's a good idea, I don't know. But I am excited about the NBA season. NBA uh, basketball is ready to roll this week with the regular season tipping off. Preseason has been fun. Uh, Watched a really entertaining Memphis-Atlanta preseason game. Um, Grayson Allen still a goon. And Ja Morant is only getting better. Uh, Trey Young set to do great things this year. I will say this, though, about the NBA. and, And based on the cards that I've been selling on eBay... Don't get distracted, guys, by shiny objects in the preseason. It's just, you know, and a lot of people are talking about it. On A lot of the content creators are talking about this, but it's true. You know, it's bowl bowl syndrome. Don't get distracted by shiny objects in the preseason. Do your research. Know what you're going after. Know what you're looking to invest in. And, you know, if a guy pops off in the preseason, he's probably not going to get that kind of run in the regular season when games matter. So be smart about how you're spending your money. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but I am excited about NBA basketball returning and uh, watching the card market. Uh, it's 
it's unlike anything I've ever experienced in the hobby, watching this real-time NBA market react to uh, games and performances. It's, it's fascinating, and it's fun. Um, and I'm so excited for NBA basketball this year. Um, talk about buying and selling. Still not buying. Um, you know, still in liquidation mode. Being smart about what I want to put my money into. And we'll get into uh, more philosophy in the main segment of the show today. But uh, from a selling standpoint, uh, the NFL never took off the way that I thought it would uh, in the selling market this year. But the NBA is already, uh, in my from my perspective, returning to form. The NBA is already getting back to where it was last year. Um, and again, based on the stuff I'm selling, people are very, still very reactionary to uh, performances in games that don't matter. Um, you know, Kyle Guy flying off the shelves. Um, you know, a couple of other examples of that uh, are out there. But, you know, Kyle Guy is, is kind of, for me, uh, indicative of, of what we're seeing in the NBA market. So um, looking forward to how this whole NBA season uh, rolls out this year. Uh, hopefully we can get through the season without uh, COVID shutdown and uh, we can uh, watch the card market react. But I'm just super excited for, for the NBA. Uh, but again, still not buying, selling a lot, uh, rolling cards out daily, uh, from the eBay store, and that's exciting. Um, content social shout-outs this week. A couple of things. Big news. Big news in the content market. Sports Card PT finally has a YouTube channel. First video is up. It's really, really good, and it's about Luca and uh, his uh, status and his health and whether or not you should be concerned about his sprained ankles in his history. So good. Chris just does such a great job. Uh, also, new stuff this week from Sports Card Investigator and Sports Card Analytics. Check out both of those guys. Check out Andy, the Sports Card Investigator, Jordan, Sports Card Analytics. Jordan just killing the game with data driven opportunities. But he dropped another video this week that I really enjoyed that I wanted to. Uh, just touch on briefly. And I, I talked at length about sports card analytics last week. Um, so I don't want to turn this into uh, a redux of that, but I just want to say he dropped an episode uh, that talked about find your why, why are you in the hobby? Why do you collect? And it was so good. And I'm not going to give you a giveaway what his why was, but his why was touching and personal. And I, appreciated it so much. So go check it out for yourselves and then think about it in your own terms. Find your why. And it doesn't have to be as philanthropic as Jordan's is. Mine is not. My why is about an emotional connection to my past. Uh, that's what cards are for me. And uh, also cards are a, a piece of the history of, of sports that I love. But for me, it's really about that emotional connection to my past and my youth. But Jordan's why is really, really interesting. So watch the video, uh, Sports Card Analytics on YouTube. I'll drop the the link in the show description this week. Elsewhere on social media, I want to shout out Kyle at Wax Museum Podcast because Kyle is doing the Lord's work. Kyle is doing something that I've wanted to do for a long time and just never got around to doing. And that is he is calling out the guys who send you the obnoxious solicitations 
to quote unquote, get into my breaks. He's calling out the breakers that are, that are following people just to send them solicitations, unwanted solicitations for breaks. And it's been fantastic doing it in his posts on Instagram and his stories on Instagram, talking about it on the podcast. If you're not listening to wax museum podcast, you're doing it wrong. Check out Kyle at Wax Museum Podcast. Again, the description will be in, or the uh, link will be in the show description this week. But uh, Kyle, just absolutely killing it. Love it. And I've wanted to do that for so long. Now, if I can get somebody to do the same thing for the guys that send me the incessant messages asking me if I want a dope logo or cartoon picture of myself. Um, That's the other one that drives me crazy on Instagram. But Kyle just nailed it. And I want to thank him for what he's doing in calling out these guys. I, I said many, many episodes ago that some of these young cats hustle too hard. And that is exactly what I'm talking about. I started a segment a couple of weeks ago on, uh, West Virginia connections. Um, you know, talking about famous West Virginians in the, in sports or in, uh, uh, in the news and talking about their connection to the state or to the hobby. And I want to make that a, a regular segment, but I only want to do it if it's relevant. So I, I say that this morning as I sit here and record to say I don't have one this week because there wasn't one that sort of organically appeared. The first couple of weeks, there was an organic reason to talk about West Virginia connections. I wasn't trying to force it. So I want to see if. I just let this happen organically if we can make it something that is uh, a natural fit into the show. I don't just want to pick some figure at random or arbitrarily and shoehorn it into the show. I want to make it fit because each each show kind of has a theme or an arc. Once we get past talking about the week's developments in sports, everything kind of has a theme and an arc to the show. And the West Virginia Connection, I want that to fit into that. So I don't have a West Virginia Connection this week, but if one comes up, they'll be it'll be in there next week. The show is Mountain State Cardboard, originating, originating from the Mountain State of West Virginia. West Virginia is a big part of who I am uh, and, uh, and a big part of my life, and I want to share that in the podcast, but I only want to do it in ways that make sense. So uh, no West Virginia uh, connection this week. Main segment this week, though, and and I read a really interesting piece written by Bill James this week. And if you don't know Bill James, most of you who are especially the baseball fans are going to know who Bill James is. But Bill James is the godfather of baseball analytics. Bill James in the late 70s started looking at baseball statistics in a different way than anybody really had up to that point. And he he not only analyzed the stats, but he created new stats and he used those stats to find ways to improve a team's fortunes. Bill James, the godfather of baseball analytics, he really begat Moneyball, which begat, you know, eventually teams using the Moneyball concepts to pay players less. But I digress. Bill James used statistics to find advantages and ways to exploit those advantages or weaknesses of other teams. I've been a Bill James fan for a very, very long time. And 
you know, I can remember being 14, 15 years old and having a, a paperback copy of Baseball Abstract, which was Bill James, his real first foray into the public consciousness or the the at least the sports fan consciousness. Baseball Abstract was his the book that he wrote that really broke down and talked about baseball statistics and statistical analysis. And I was a weird kid, but I loved that stuff. And I was an early adopter of, of fantasy baseball, which back in the day we called rotisserie baseball. I, I loved that stuff because I loved the analytical and the statistical side of baseball and how you could l- compare players and, and, stand players up next to one another and and look at their statistical breakdown. I just ate that stuff up. So I've been reading and following Bill James for a very long time. And and depending on who you are, if you're a traditionalist, and and he called it Sabermetrics, uh, which was a a nod to Sabre, the Society of American Baseball Research, of which I am a member. But if you're a traditionalist, you might buck at Bill James. Or if you're a stat geek, you probably love Bill James. But I think there's some middle ground there where you can say, yes, baseball has a rich rich history and baseball is more than just statistical analysis, but the statistical analysis and the utilization of these stats has made the game better, I think. So I think there's room for traditionalists to embrace the stat side of the game, and there's room for the stat nerds to embrace the history and the non-statistical side of the game. Because there are always outliers, and there are always people that outperform their stats or underperform their stats, so the, the two can live together. Anyway, I'm getting into the weeds here. I bring all of this up to say that Bill James, on his own website this week, wrote a piece about the new Mets GM, Jared Porter. And Bill James is a guy who knows Jared Porter. Jared Porter, Bill James got hired. He was, a, he was a baseball outsider for a very long time because a lot of people in the game did not buy into Bill's statistical analysis and the way that he could use stats to um, enhance a team or his belief that you could use stats to make a team better. And, you know, this is where all of the things like the the overuse of relief pitchers, in my opinion, that's one area where the stats kind of went off the rails. But, you know, the 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 incessant use of relief pitchers, the shifting of defenses based on batted ball history, all of these things come from the lineage of Bill James and his statistical analysis of baseball. Bill James was a baseball outsider until 2003 when... Uh, the Red Sox hired Bill James to come in and work for the organization. And Bill James has four World Series rings working with the Red Sox that show that he knows what he's doing and he can be an asset to an organization. But anyway, so Jared Porter came up under Theo Epstein with the Red Sox and worked with Bill James. And Bill James has personal experience working with Jared Porter and knows Jared Porter, the new Mets GM, and wrote a piece basically talking about why Jared Porter was a good hire for the Mets and why, from his perspective, he thinks that Jared Porter is going to be a good general manager. But he goes further in the piece. It's not just about why Jared Porter is going to be, in his opinion, a good GM for the Mets or thinks he was a good hire. He doesn't go on to say that he will be a good GM. He thinks it was a good hire. But the reason for that is that 
Jared Porter gets both top level and ground level thinking right. And that's the theme of today's show. And that's what I want to talk about because this piece is fascinating. And it talks about how within baseball organizations, and I guess you could look at this in any sport, football or basketball, but I want to today apply it to the hobby. And he talks about how organizations function on two levels. There's the top level, which is what we as fans all see the product on the field, the major moves by the organization, the trades, the free agent signings, all of that, the hirings in the front office. That's the top-level stuff. And in Bill's estimation, that's about 40% of what an organization really is, is the stuff that we all see, the top-level stuff. What we don't see in James's estimation is about 60% of what that organization does. And I'm going to pull a couple of quotes from the piece, and I'm going to link, and it's uh, the website is billjamesonline.com, but I'm going to link the specific story in the show description this week, or the show notes. But I want to pull out two quotes. Here's the first one, quote from the article. There's another way to think about an organization, which is ground-level and top-level operations. Everything the fan sees, everything they talk about on talk shows, everything that people like me in the public eye discuss, that's all top-level stuff. And then further on, here's the second quote. But what people who don't work in the game don't understand is 60% of what makes an organization successful is the ground-level work. The ground-level work isn't one thing, it's a million things. And he does a really great job of breaking this out, and a lot of it talks about scouting and being prepared when trade offers come around, but it's about knowing the ins and outs of the organization, but not just your organization, everybody's organization. And he uses a couple of really fascinating examples of trades that the Red Sox made or didn't make while he was in the organization. He's since retired, but... Read the article if you're a baseball guy or if you're just a fan of sort of the the behind-the-scenes happenings of a sports franchise because it's really cool. But he goes to great lengths to talk about all of the ground-level work that needs to be done to make the top-level stuff successful. And it's there that I want to take that conceptual idea, that thinking, that ground-level and top-level thinking philosophy and apply it to the hobby because you we all follow the guys on instagram or youtube or twitter that have big collections and the influencers that talk about their cards and the market and we see all of that stuff but what we don't see is the work that goes into it and i'm going to go back to jordan at sports card analytics because it really does apply in this case so if you watch the videos and and you Uh, and you've watched the videos about the data-driven opportunities, and you see that finished product, that YouTube video, what you're not seeing is the hours and hours of research and statistical analysis that goes into creating those opportunities. And Jordan dropped another video this week that talked about his uh, current PSA submission and how he evaluates the cards and preps the cards. And Andy at Sports Card Investigator has a show a couple of months ago that he he goes in depth about PSA submissions and also an, a really great episode on how he uh, lists his cards on eBay and going into detail on how he photographs the cards and what he does. Like he goes through his process. 
and the process is the ground level stuff. We see a small percentage up at the top of what these guys do. We see a small percentage of what that collector or investor does. You know, G, uh, the Lucas show on YouTube. By the way, shout out to G, uh, who uh, is down with an Achilles injury. Uh, checked in with him over the weekend uh, just to, uh, if you follow him on Instagram, you, you saw perhaps his story. Uh, he messed up his Achilles, so he's kind of down right now uh, physically. Uh, so wishing him well this holiday season. I did check in with him. He said he's on the mend and hoping to be uh, back on his feet soon. But, you know, when you watch G's videos and you see his phenomenal collection of Luka Doncic cards, that doesn't happen by accident. I mean, yeah, I guess if you're a one percenter and you just have money to spend and that's all you want to do is spend your money on cards, you can just go out and buy anything you want. But if you're working towards something, if you're a collector or investor who's working towards something, if you watch the Luca show and you see the cards, you're seeing a small percentage of what goes into making that collection happen. So that's my message to everyone today. All of the researching, the organizing, the making the decisions, the doing the work, that's the ground level operation of collecting or investing. And you've got to be good at that if you want to be good at the top level stuff. If you want to have a cool collection or if you're an investor and you want to make money, it doesn't happen by accident. It happens through hard work. Just like in a baseball organization, you don't just go out and spend the money and put players on the field and win. You've got to evaluate your own talent. You've got to evaluate the talent of other organizations. And when the opportunities arise, you have to take advantage of those opportunities. So in the hobby, we see the top-level cards. What we don't see is the grind. And trust me, guys, if you're new to this, it is a grind. I spent eight hours over the course of Saturday and Sunday this weekend getting cards photographed and listed on eBay and sorted and deciding what I want to sell, what I don't want to sell. It's a grind. When the orders come in, you got to fulfill the orders. You you know, I spent half an hour one day last week just cutting down pieces of cardboard for shipping material. It's a grind. It doesn't happen by accident. Whether you're a collector or an investor, it takes work to get to where you want to be. It's more than just money for most of us, if not all of us. Like I said, maybe the 1%, the guys that can just go out and drop money on cards and be done with it. You know, Kendrick Perkins is on Instagram. He's collecting cards and he's showing off his collection. Perks made millions of dollars in the NBA. He can just go out and buy what he wants. But for me and for the guys I talk about on this show and for the guys that I interact with on social media, it's a grind. Uh, It doesn't happen by accident. To get to where we want to be, we've got to put the work in. And a big part of what James is saying in this article this week is you can't be good at one. If if you want to be good in one, you have to be good at both. If you, you can't, how do I say this? If you're not good at the street level stuff, you're not going to be good at the top level stuff. And I I think there's also a a converse there where 
you know, you just being good at the street level stuff does not mean good at the top level stuff. And he uses my Pittsburgh Pirates and the Minnesota Twins and a couple of other teams as an example of organizations that are really good at the street level, the low level operations. They have good scouting departments. They have good player development, but they screw it up at the top level. They screw it up at the major league level. And that's either ownership not being willing to spend when the opportunity arises or the need is there to spend or it's bad decisions by the general manager at the top line. But, you know, there are organizations that have the good ground level stuff. So in the hobby, you can be really good at the selling stuff on eBay, grinding it out, liquidating. But when the opportunity arises to go after those grail cards that you want, if you're not willing to pull the trigger or or don't do the right thing, you're still not going to be successful. So you really have to be good at both. Success in one does not indicate success in both. You have to focus on both, but you can't forget about the street level stuff. And that's the message today. The message today is don't forget about the street level stuff. I'm a big fan of the HBO show, The Wire. And I look at that show and I think about Stringer Bell. And Stringer Bell played by Idris Elba throughout the course of the series or the first you know, few seasons of the series before he got gunned down by Omar and, and Brother Muzone. Spoiler alert for those that haven't seen it. But Stringer was really good at the top-level stuff. He had big dreams, and he studied economics and was trying to apply economics to the drug trade in Baltimore. But he was really good at the high-level thinking. He had big dreams, big goals, and was good at that. What he wasn't good at was running the streets, running his corners, his operation. And I'm not endorsing the drug trade. I think Andy at Sports Card uh, Investigator would uh, totally balk at that. But it's a fictitious show that I'm using as an example. But the show is all about the drug trade in Baltimore. And what Stringer and his partner, so his partner uh, was in, in, in uh, uh, prison for part of the show, and, and Stringer was left to run uh, uh, the operation. What Stringer wasn't good at was the street-level stuff. So when it came time for Stringer to run the organization, he had the big dreams and he had the high-level thinking, but he couldn't run his own corners and keep his own corners. And other drug dealers came in and took the corners and started a war. And that ultimately led to, in part, the demise of Stringer Bell and the whole organization. So if you're not good at the street-level stuff in this hobby, you're not going to get to the top level, unless, again, you've just got boatloads of money. So you have to focus on the grind. you got to know the cards. you got to know the players. You've got to do your research. You've got to put in the work to sell the cards. You know, If you're a grader, you've got to analyze the cards, figure out what you do and don't want to sub. You know, you, you've got to do the work. You can't just expect to have a cool collection without doing the work. You can't just expect to make money unless you do the work. And do and doing the work is analyzing, prepping, grinding. You got to do the street level stuff. So shout out to Bill James for the article this week in inspiring me to come to you this morning with this message of don't forget about the street level portion of your operation. It's not just about going out and buying a PSA 10 Luca. 
It's about doing the work that gets you to the place where you've got the funds to go out and pull the trigger on that card that you want. So focus on the street level to get to the top level. And I was never a Stringer Bell fan. I think Stringer Bell is one of the worst characters in... in. He's a great character, but there are very few characters in modern television history that I hate as much as Stringer Bell. Avon Barksdale, on the other hand, I was a big fan of, but that was a whole other thing. And we can can talk at length. One day I'll do a whole podcast about The Wire, but uh, uh, The Wire, to me, is a fascinating show that you can apply the principles and the storylines of The Wire to just about anything in your life if you want to. Uh, and and come away with advice or philosophies that apply to your day-to-day. But anyway, uh, the message today, if you want to get to the top level and be successful there, you've got to put in the work at the street level. So thanks to Bill James for that analysis. Again, I'll link the article in the show notes this week. But as I say that, just always, always remember about the street level portion of your operation. And don't neglect it. That's it for today, folks. Enjoy the holidays if you're listening to this before Christmas. Uh, As always, a reminder, subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. Give it a rating. Give me a review. Share it with your friends. Help me spread the word about the show. Instagram and Twitter, at WV Cardboard. The website, WVCardboard.com. The email address, wvcardboard at gmail.com. Connect with me. Let's have a conversation. Peace, love, and penny sleeves. Connect with Mountain State Cardboard on Instagram at wvcardboard. Our theme music is performed and produced by John Ingram. Visit our show page on Anchor, anchor.fm slash wvcardboard. This podcast is a member of the 3BG Podcasting Network, a production of 3BG Media. All rights reserved.